Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Ollie Hammett. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today, we hear from Dean Devlin, CEO and founder of LA Prodco Electric Entertainment, and Jane Reimer, Senior Vice President of Banerjee Canada. LA-based Prodco Electric Entertainment made 54 hours of content last year in the middle of a pandemic and has secured deals for its new shows on Amazon-backed AVOD platform IMDb-TV. I spoke to CEO Dean Devlin about the future of AVOD platforms in general and how his company's own platform works as a marketing tool. First, though, I asked him how he'd found the whole production process now that it was coming to an end. Well, last year it was terrible. I mean, last year, uh, uh, between uh, ad prices dipping, uh, uh, foreign partners trying to figure out how they're going to deal with worldwide Netflix and worldwide uh, Amazon, et cetera, uh, and the the rise of HBO Max, uh, we made very few sales last year. But uh, starting the first quarter of this year, it just, it all has come back and uh, it's it's come roaring back. So we're we're feeling very bullish on, on the future. We think, you know, I think people can see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's time to get new product on the air. Do you think that's a factor in uh, in the sort of, as you mentioned, everything coming back? Is that the reason or, or what's behind that? Well, I think there's that. I think that, um, you know, the different places have now developed their strategies on how they're going to move forward. I think ad dollars are slowly coming back. So, I mean, I, I think it, it's a confluence of a lot of things. I think that initial chaos of, of this explosion of the worldwide SVOD and the pandemic and ad dollars falling, it was, uh, it was a perfect storm of bad news for indies like me. But um, I think it's all all settled down or it's at least it's uh it's moving in the right direction and um the rise in ad dollars coming back is obviously going to be good for uh the avod platforms with these sort of new series were you targeting the avod platforms absolutely absolutely i mean i i think that um for an indie it it has a lot of opportunity because you still can at least at the moment be able to do split rights deals where it's getting harder and harder in the SVOD world. Not not impossible, but much harder. Um, although that may change too, as, as the uh, need for content rises and these platforms realize that how much money they have to spend to compete, uh, they may start to go back to a licensing model, but uh, we're not quite there yet. What attracted you to working with IMDb TV in particular? And is the how is the process different to other uh, broadcasters or platforms you may have worked with before? In one sense, it's very traditional. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's not totally dissimilar to how we worked with TV. TNT when we did Leverage and the Librarians. Um, uh, but I will say that it is a unique group of human beings that they've put together. And they're really smart. They're really clever. They're true fans. So you're not just getting kind of intellectual notes. You're getting notes from people who actually are going to watch the show and would have watched the show for, even if it wasn't on their channel. The thing is about our business is that when you deal with professionals, you know, they always are going to do solid work. But when you deal with professionals who genuinely have passion for what you're doing, it goes up a notch. How how important do you think the sort of the success of the original series is for the uh, selling and the promotion of the reboot? Well, the, the remarkable thing about Leverage is that even though we were quite successful when we were on, I mean, we got to do 77 episodes, but when we were on, TNT didn't have that many nights of original broadcasting. So they constantly were moving us to open a new night. So we started on Sundays, then we moved to Tuesdays, then we moved to Wednesdays, then we moved to Thursdays, then we were back on Sundays again, then we were at eight, then we were at nine. So I think we moved like nine times in the course of five seasons. It was very hard for the audience to, to, to grow, but we had this amazing fan base. But what ended up happening is that after the show aired uh, originally on TNT, and then it started to play in second cycle, we gained a whole new audience. 
And at the point that I was meeting with IMDb, because, you know, Amazon is a very um, uh, data centric company. When uh, uh, we started working on, uh, when we started talking to them, they said, do you realize that you have a much bigger audience now than you had when you were on the air? And I said, I had a feeling because not a day went by that I didn't get 30 DMs from people saying, please bring back leverage, find a way to bring back leverage. How was leverage shown in its second cycle then? Was it still on TNT? No, uh, we, we ended up making several deals. We were on the Ion channel here in the United States. We were playing in syndication, mostly on the CBS networks. We're on Amazon. I'm wondering how, if you're launching these sort of three big drama series, um, which traditionally may be more at home on an SVOD platform, how does that combine with the lean back experience of AVOD? Well, I think it's it's the tone in which you tell the story that allows for commercial breaks without it feeling, you know, you know. I think if you're in a really dark, edgy, uh, a serialized show and you stop for a commercial, you're screaming at the television. You're like, no, <laughs> you get frustrated. But these shows are designed to feel like a comfortable old shoe. You know, they're, they're designed to feel like the kind of show you've seen. So actually, when the commercial comes on, you want that minute to like talk to your friends about what you just saw and to, to, to go on Twitter or go in the kitchen and make your sandwich. It's just tonally very different than the dark, edgy, serialized shows. These are more more blue sky fun shows that, uh, uh, that don't require the same kind of intensity that you have to have seen every single episode. And if you missed an episode, you know, you don't want to watch the next one. Uh, you know, our shows, you could pop in, in and out at any point and you're not going to get lost. They need volume and they need variety. So I think that that the audience is sophisticated enough to know the difference between the legacy, you know, rerun stuff and uh, brand new shows that are made for the uh, for the platform. You know, we see this like if you go to HBO Max now, you'll you know you see episodes of TV shows from you know the seventies and eighties, but alongside of it with the greatest shows from HBO that are coming out. So I think I think there will always be a separation of the original stuff, the new stuff. But you know, if if you're if you're taking the time to download a, a platform onto your Roku or your TV or your iPad. Yeah, you want there to be a variety of things to watch there. People don't really love jumping in and out of apps. So, you know, once they're in one, they want to make sure there's a lot of content to see. So for me, the more they get, the better. The more it keeps uh, it keeps people on the platform. AVODs are sort of almost, in terms of a cycle, they're slightly behind SVODs in the fact that, you know, in the last year, loads and loads of new SVODs have sprung up and more and more AVODs are starting to pop up as well. Uh, and we, you know, how does, how do you feel about that in terms of, like you say, people not wanting to jump in and out of, of apps all the time? Well, people are going to find the ones that they like, but, you know, most people in the United States who cut the cord, uh, the $100 a month barrier was too high. It just felt like they're paying too much money for a lot of stuff they're not watching. The problem with having so many SVODs is once you've got more than three of them, you're dangerously close to that $100 mark again, but people still want more content. So I think what they're doing is they're trying to figure out, well, what are, what is the platform that they're going to make their home base? Is it is it uh, Pluto? Is it uh, Tubi? Is it Exumo? Um, and I think what Amazon is offering is a very compelling product in, in, in that world because they'll have live channels for more of that turn on the TV when you come home feeling. And then they'll have free video on demand. And to have that much content that you don't have to pay for, that you don't have to subscribe to Amazon Prime to get. That's one of the big confusions they have right now is that people think it's part of Amazon Prime. But you don't have to be a Prime member. You don't have to spend a dime to see anything on the IMDb TV platform. But then that's where I think the live channels come in. I think Roku is starting to have a, a lot of uh, you know a lot of success with their live channels. Uh, uh, Samsung is putting out their own live channels. There's a lot of a, a lot of places are starting to do this. Uh, 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 our live channel, Electric Now, 
now, you know, we're on a variety of platforms and we're watching kind of crazy growth. So, I mean, we, we you know, we're witnessing this explosion firsthand. Uh, and I think that is, that's that lean back experience. That's that you're putting the groceries away and you want the TV on. Um, and speaking of electric now, how does uh, how does it fit in with your selling on shows to, to Avod platforms like IMDb TV? Are you managing to make the two work? Well, I, yeah, on certain shows, we're allowed to keep it for our platform and then give it to that platform. Other shows, like for instance, the new leverage will not be on Electric Now, but Electric Now has all the old episodes and it's a real opportunity for us to use our platform to drive fans from us to IMDb because we want our shows to be successful wherever they are. And we've always looked at uh, our platform as a way to aggregate our fans. In other words, people who loved the librarians but never saw Leverage will now get turned on to Leverage. People who love Leverage and never heard of The Outpost, you know, so that we believe uh, uh, enlarges our fan group and, and energizes them. But it also makes them a powerful voting block on other platforms because we can send a lot of people. Almost Paradise moved on to IMDb. Uh, we've been in the top 10 most popular shows on IMDb since it's been there consistently. I don't think we've fallen out of the top 10 one day. And and I know that a lot of that is people we drove there from our channel and our app. When shows are designed to have these, these little cliffhangers, these little breaks for the commercial, it, it, it feels more comfortable than when you're watching something a train that's just riding forward and suddenly it stops, then it's a very dis disquieting experience. Given what we talked about in January and what we've talked about today, how do you see the rest of 2021 going for electric and just in the industry? Well, I think I think we're going to see fierce competition in the SVOD. And I don't think everyone's going to survive. Um, and then they're going to have to kind of rethink their platform and, and how they do it. Uh, and some are going to do really, really well. Um, but I think we're going to see explosive growth in AVOD. And that does present opportunities for a company like mine. I mean, uh, uh, it gives us the ability to own our IP do split rights deals um, and be able to, to give these platforms more content at a affordable rate because they don't have to foot the entire bill. And I also think that a lot of people who were stuck at home during COVID uh, were, got exposed to it that might not have ever been exposed to it, that people had a lot more time on their hands to be watching television for the last year. And uh, again, they didn't want to, they, they were earning less money, so they wanted to spend less money. So suddenly the AVODs became a really viable option. Um, and by the way, even in this explosion, we're still at a very, very small percentage of people in the United States who've even heard of it, who even know this exists. So, so uh, I don't think we're we're even close to see seeing what the ceiling can be on AVOD. There has to be quality, and by quality, I don't mean that they're award winners. I mean that it has to live up to the promise that you've made to the audience. The the, the quality of the show, whether you know you mentioned you know those comedies from uh, the '90s, they had a quality to them though. And if that's what you want to watch, you want it to live up to that quality. So I think each platform has to understand what their vertical is, what quality th that they're going to be consistent with so that the that the consumer feels like they're getting that quality. I think volume is going is huge. You know, if there's not enough to watch on the platform, they're going to abandon the platform for one that has more. Um, and then I think the third thing is value, is that you want to feel like there's real value in having this. And if it's if it's a, a subscription, you want to feel like you're paying the right price for that subscription. You know, if it's AVOD, you want to feel like you're getting uh, new enough content, unique enough content that that it's a value for you to spend your time here. If, if you go to most AVOD platforms at the moment, you're seeing very old material. So it feels like you're on a rerun platform. But I think that's just simply because the material has already been licensed to other places and it's just not available to be put on there. But what we're seeing, you know, what we're seeing at Amazon is uh, when something feels fresh and new, it's getting a lot of viewers. So I think that uh, they'll, there will be an investment. You know, uh, Peacock is doing that now. They're doing several, you know, AVOD shows directly for Peacock. So, you know, I, I think we're going to be seeing that. And the more that's successful, if presuming they do the right shows, um, you know, that fit the platform, that fit that quality. 
Um, I think that's just going to fuel the interest in these platforms. Do you I mean, think, I don't know if Netflix would have ever been what it is if they didn't do originals. If they were only the old movie channel, I think they might have plateaued. Same with HBO. If HBO had only been showing movies that had run the previous year, at a certain point, you feel like, ah, it's all those movies. It, yeah. It's really the original content that drove them. And we'll, we'll see that now. I mean, I guarantee you, soon Tubi will making uh, original content to Pluto and all the others. Okay. I, I hear nobody's considering it now. How can how can AVODs attract? Is it the is it the rights split rights that mainly attracts producers to AVODs over SVODs? Well, it depends on the company, but I mean, at the end of the day, uh, if you're a producer, you want to get your content made. So it's whoever makes you the best deal, whether it's your mm -hmm. your salary, your budget, your uh, your freedoms. Uh, you know, my company, we we are a content owning company, so it's very difficult for us to do shows on platforms that want to own the content. And it's not that we won't do it, but yeah, it yeah. doesn't really help grow our company. What yeah. helps grow us is expanding our library. So for us, it's a very important thing. For other producers, that might not be important at all. If, they're, if they see they can get a good salary and a freedom, yeah, it's, it's a very attractive place to go make work. So the thought is, if you can put them all in one home, can you aggregate them? And then once you've aggregated them, and assuming they're, if they're staying on the platform, you assume they're enjoying it, can you now direct them to other places where you're doing your work? And I think the first place that we really saw that was with um, Almost Paradise, because uh, uh, we, we are seeing phenomenal viewership on IMDb TV uh, at, without a giant marketing push at all. So uh, uh, I, I think that a, a huge part of that was from the aggregation of our fans on our app and then directing them there. We ran promos all the time. Uh, whenever we ran an episode, we said, you know, pull the episodes up on demand on IMDb. And uh, we did the same thing with Outpost. When uh, uh, season three came on, we were we were promoting it while airing season two on, on, the, on the site. So not only did uh, Outpost fans come, but suddenly Leverage fans who just discovered the show were now suddenly watching CW. I think the difference of, of a YouTube channel, you know, is, is people tend to go for a video on YouTube. With ours, either you've let the channel run in the background, so therefore there's ads promoting shows and there's new episodes of other shows showing up, or you've gone to the app. And as soon as you're on the app, the first thing you see is all of our shows. So, you know, that's where we're seeing people saying, oh, I never, I didn't know that you guys did the triangle. I'm going to watch the triangle. Or, you know, we have this show called Blank Slate that, that kind of came and went a long time ago. And now it's getting huge numbers on our app. And it's literally just because they're discovering it there because they came there for one show and then they fell in love with another. Dean Devlin there speaking to me, Ollie Hammett. Next up is Jane Reimer, Senior Vice President of Banerjee Canada, who I spoke to about the vast amount of content coming out of the region. Reimer had a lot to say on the advent of streamers in Canada and the dual nature of the market with both English and French language content. We began, however, by discussing the reasons behind the explosion in popularity of Canadian shows. There are so many good content creators working in Canada and outside in the US and internationally. It's always been a real hotbed for talent. And I think the profile has just really increased. I think that the, the volume and the, the quality of the content that's coming out of the Canadian marketplace is, is just proving time and time again that it's a, it's a market to pay attention to. And I think the Canadians are really focused on taking advantage of that in a good way. So, you know, there's a real, some of the networks, there's a real focus on original content development in-house and balancing that with trying to make sure that they have the best of what's available from elsewhere available to, to Canadians. So there, there's really much more of a balance. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, I would have said it's really all about what can we get into Canada. And now I feel there's much more of a balance coming the other way. We've got great, great business in our simulcast 
um, rights of American shows going into Canada, but also international content. A lot of the things that we come, you know, come from the UK and a lot of our Scandi content and things, you know, it's, it's very appealing. The Canadian marketplace is quite diverse. They're very open to content from everywhere. Australian shows that we have. What's What are some qualities in a show or a project that make you say yes? You know, I think it's obviously looking at the trends that we've got in the international marketplace right now and checking in with my team. You know, what are they what are they looking for in terms of just genres and, and content? And then obviously, what's the hook? Are we bringing whatever the content might be? If it's crime drama, if it's if it's home reno, if it's, uh, you know, variety entertainment formats, what's the hook? Is it different? And is it something that we can distribute on a wide range of territories? You know, we're not looking for something that we can only sell in Sweden, for example. I think we're the biggest global independent and we have that title and we've got you know, close to 200 production companies in the group. And a number of those are in the US. So there's a real, there's a really robust business, you know, already in the US working to, to, to provide content for all of the different platforms. But I think having our conversations, having, having an ongoing dialogue, I'm constantly talking to our US team about what we've got, what I know is happening in Canada, um, because obviously there's a nuance to the cultural um, appeal. You know, certain things, like you say, comedians, yes, comedy comedy travels really well that way. And so can drama, for example. So I'm just always making sure that I'm keeping our US teams aware of what we've, what I know about happening in the Canadian marketplace. And if I can facilitate relationships, you know, then great. So yeah, we're just always looking at it. And they're doing the same for me. You know, what's being developed in North America, in the, sorry, in the US, that I can potentially take up into the Canadian marketplace. So it's an it's a daily sort of case by case basis business, but it's um it's a focus for sure. Another trend that we're always covering at C21 is the benefits of finished tape shows versus uh, IP rights. Do you see any particular benefit to either one? Well, I think for Canada, I've got this new unique simulcast business that doesn't really happen anywhere else as far as I know. Um, and that's lucrative. It's good business. So, you know, if we can get our um, our ducks in a row so that we have access to that, that great primetime content that the, you know, Canadian market will be appealing to Canadian audiences, you know, of course, I want to do simulcast deals. You know, I just have a simulcast deal agreed for Lego Masters um, in, in Canada, which is fantastic. And that's that's actually kind of amazing because it's the second season of Lego Masters. The first season did not get picked up. I think nobody was quite sure about Lego. Um, then after about a year of COVID and every everyone is now doing Lego uh, <laughs> at home, um, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, that's, 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 you know, of interest. So, you know, I've got simulcast for that, simulcast for Wipeout, MasterChef US, those are big deals and they, 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 you know, generate a lot of revenue. So that alone, you know, puts a big emphasis on our, on our tape rights. I think there's a balance. I think, you know, for me, if I can, if I can get a, a tape version of one of our shows away in Canada and it's proven to do well, I have a great chance of turning that into a format deal as well. That's a really good way of springboarding a new show into a market. What kind of deals and partnerships are you targeting? Right. So, you know, if it's on the scripted format side, we always, two two ways. I mean, we've got Canadian, Canadian scripted content that is, is brought to us. And as I was saying a little earlier, it has to tick certain boxes in terms of genres and in terms of appeal. Duration is a big thing too. You know, if you're investing in something, it's either got to have marquee talent or it's got to have, you know, a certain number of episodes that are, going to, that are going to fit globally the distribution opportunities that we have. And so that's really on a case-by-case basis. Uh, unscripted formats are perhaps a little easier to talk about. I mean, we're still looking for those big, you know, blockbuster ones that are, are going to be able to sell at 100, 100 territories. But, 
you know, at the same time, if if there are more unique, maybe social experiments, I mean, in, in a multitude of genres, but if there are more unique ones that we also think would make a splash, then, then we'll look at those too. And the strategy for me is that, you know, I've been working in Canada for you know, a long time and have a lot of relationships. So I, in the best way, mine those relationships as much as I can. And I value the relationships I have with my Canadian counterparts hugely, you know, respect their opinion on, on, on what they see as, you know, good new content that's coming out there. They have a great handle on the international marketplace. And when I say Canada, I should clarify, I'm really talking about the English and the French markets, because those really are two territories. And they do have different nuances, but we are having those kinds of conversations with production entities and broadcasters in both markets. Um, yeah, and successfully. You see them as quite separate entities, but is there any sort of illusion between the two? Do you see opportunities yeah. from sort of taking one from the other? Yeah, there, there is. I mean, there are conversations going on about taking some French-Canadian formats and maybe turning them into English-Canadian versions. That That's an opportunity and vice versa. But there are certain instances that, where some of the broadcasters, you know, Bell Media, for example, has an English and a French company they've got to you know within the overall corporate umbrella but they talk a lot and you know can access rights together for certain things cbc src you know the same there's there's quite more more conversation i would say than there used to be between their own divisions within their own companies but i treat them you know in terms of my purview of canada i i approach them separately it's a different set of broadcasters uh different set of rights different ratings um different way they do deals with advertisers and sponsors yeah I mean it's it's two it's really two markets and and I love that because they are different I mean it's, it's one of those quirky things about the world but they're it's fun in their differences to do to work in it for well I guess for both territories to get them out into the world and on the global stage how do you view um co-productions both in Canada and uh, abroad right it's on a case-by-case basis it's really, you know, if there's an opportunity that that presents itself, sometimes it, it really helps if there's a part of the story that has a Canadian angle that opens so many doors in Canada to various tax credits and funding opportunities, regional tax credits, opportunities to produce outside of the main Toronto or Vancouver, you know, metropoles. So we try and, you know, have those conversations. And, you know, sometimes a co-production with Canada can actually involve, you know, production company, that one of our production companies, and a Toronto-based one and a regional one, because then you can access both sets of credits and produce in two different places. So then we try and, you know, put these put these together really individually. There isn't one model that fits all. And I think if you tried to do that, it, it would it would limit your opportunities. What international buyers are you targeting for these Canadian shows? If it's English language content, I mean, the demand for English language content is is pretty universal. So I think as long as as long as what we're getting out of Canada has, as I said before, a really strong hook, and in some cases, you know, a talent, you know, a personality that stands out, then they can go pretty much anywhere. Um, obviously, French language content is going to target you know, France, French-speaking, um, Africa, places like that more more easily. But I would say that the, the content that's coming out of Canada has quite a universal appeal, unless it's something which is telling perhaps, you know, a very uh, specifically Canadian story, a historical story, for example, and that will appeal to certain territories, but it won't be completely universal. But if we're talking a home reno show or we're talking, you know, variety entertainment or a format, 
they can go anywhere. And as well as territories, do you see any advantage to sort of linear versus streamers or um, what kind of platforms are you targeting? I think it's the same. I think, honestly, I don't see a huge difference. We've probably got at least 20 different streaming platforms in Canada um, available, various sizes. And, you you know, you've got the big guys, your Amazons, your Disney Pluses, your Netflixes, what have you. But, you know, there are smaller ones and more local ones too um, that, you know, that have gained some traction. And I think they... They have, you know, created a place at the table um, very successfully in Canada. I mean, there was a, they, they, the, the streamers like Netflix are being brought more into the Canadian system. They will, you know, pay taxes on, on, you know, the revenues they generate in Canada going forward. That's starting in, I think, it's, I think you may, you may want to check, but I think it's starting in January 2022. But that's pieces of legislation that are that are integrating more the streamers into, you know, the business of the Canadian, the Canadian television. Um, you know, from our perspective as clients, it's wonderful. I think you know more more seats at the table, more opportunities, healthy competition, and there and you know places the big ones, the big international streamers, you like a Netflix and an Amazon, you know Prime Plus. They are launching Canadian offices. They're hiring execs on the ground for developing development. Netflix announced yesterday they're looking for a scripted development exec to be based in Canada. Um, you know, so it's uh, I think it's. Whereas I think Canada is extremely important, I think so do the, so do these other entities now, and everybody's kind of getting into it. If you're a Canadian production company that is developing content, you know you're going to want to make sure you have a like a bouquet of offerings that's going to appeal to the different, you know, the different clients. So you you know what would what might appeal to a Canadian public broadcaster might be different. What might appeal to one of the streamers. Um, so ideally, you'd want to have a selection. I think the beauty of Banerjee is that we have, you know, we have a library of, I think, close to 100,000 hours of content, you know, and, you know, our format database is, you know, one of the biggest. And so I think we have, and we continually adding to that, you know, in all different genres. So I feel very confident um, that we will continue to have content that will appeal to all the different platforms. I don't feel like, oh gosh, we've got a big hole here or a big hole there. I don't think that. And I think that's really borne out by the fact that we've got so many of our formats on air in Canada, both in English and French, um, and, our, and our tape business is thriving. And on the flip side of that, with the, with the huge amount of production that's going on in Canada right now and things being exported, how's the demand for international formats coming into Canada? It's good. You know, I think there's a lot of talk, um, you know, backed up by action uh, in terms of developing homegrown content. Um, and as I think I mentioned earlier, there are several networks that have in-house teams that are developing original IP. Um, my goal is to ensure that Banerjee is the distributor of those uh, that IP, you know, so there's that business for us. But um, going the other way, uh, you know, I think there's there's always been a demand for international um, format. And I think because we have this unique relationship with the US marketplace, you know, this simulcast business, and also you just can't deny what's a success in the US is, is noticed and paid attention to in Canada. So if there's a massive format, you know, in, you know, Big Brother is a great example, you know, MasterChef is another great example. When those shows do really well in, Canada, in, in the US, uh, the chances of, of a Canadian version being produced are much higher. I will say, though, um, that it still has to, that Canadian format version still has to resonate culturally with Canadians. You can't just push an idea forward just because it's been a success in the US and expect the Canadian audience to, to, uh, to be attracted to it. 
there still has to be enough of a cultural um, relevance. This question is kind of just my own interest, really, but what do, what are the differences between Canada and the US in terms of their audiences? Because I've obviously been from Britain, I've always sort of lumped them in together almost. Do you see any sort of yeah. real splits here? Sorry, um, I gotta be careful here because I don't want to diss the Americans and I don't want to diss the Canadians either. So, um, you know, I think Canada's part of the Commonwealth, great relationships with uh, and uh, nuances that, um, you know, you can connect with the UK, you can connect with Australia, places like that. America's much more straightforward America. Um, I think Canadians potentially have... uh, like to dig into things perhaps a bit deeper you know i think the american audiences are it's it's and it's it's just a function of the way the content has been served to them but there's such a short attention span things have really really got to grab you within a few seconds and then after the ad break you got to repeat it all again just to remind everybody in the us of what you just saw canada i think has slightly more room to breathe with ideas i'm really trying to be diplomatic here there you know um in some ways there are some some similarities but i think canada is more international and has more of a an understanding of the international world of of television and content jane reimer there speaking with me ollie hammett that's all for this episode but there'll be more from the podcast next week in the meantime stay safe and up to date with all the latest international tv industry news and views by following c21 online on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening.